The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, continuing our reflections on the Eightfold Path, kind of stepping out again, we've been exploring the wise mindfulness, the right mindfulness aspect of the Eightfold Path for a lot of weeks in the last few weeks and um, kind of began a transition last week to the next factor of the Eightfold Path, right concentration. And uh, I think often there are some confusions about concentration, um, ideas about it that come partly from our own culture, um, our own, like, um, um, Western ideas of what concentration are, but also influenced by some of the the, the teachings um, and the um, the uh, the tradition that we um, have that we teach at uh, Insight Retreat Center, Insight Meditation Center, is the Theravadan tradition, and the Theravadan tradition includes the um, the texts of the the Pali texts, the words of the Buddha that perhaps the Buddha spoke, <laughs> and then a whole set of commentaries that follow that, the number of years following um, the Buddha's life. There were a lot of people who thought about what the Buddha taught and wrote a lot of commentaries about uh, the teachings. And um, those commentaries have a, a slightly different emphasis on concentration than the suttas do. So all of these things come together. And I'd like to explore this uh, this topic of concentration from several perspectives over the next few weeks. Today, I'd like to explore uh, concentration as it fits into the Eightfold Path. Um, the Eightfold Path as a whole. So just as a so kind of stepping back today, kind of stepping back and looking at the Eightfold Path as a whole, because there's one sutta that I'd like to kind of frame my talk around. And for those of you who like to know sutta numbers, this is in the Majjhima Nikaya, Sutta 117. Um, and it frames concentration as being um, supported by the first seven factors of the Eightfold Path. So the, uh, the factors of the Eightfold Path are wise view, wise intention, Wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. So the first seven of those, wise, uh, wise, wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, and wise mindfulness are said to be the supports for wise concentration. And in that sutta, it also describes how the factors of the Eightfold Path support each other. So this is, this is kind of the, the perspective I'd like to explore today. Um, that it, the, the sutta um, that I'm talking about kind of both describes the path factors, the Eightfold Path factors as being interwoven, kind of like strands of thread and a rope that strengthen a rope, so they all kind of work together. And it describes the path factors as being 
somewhat sequential, that one supports the next, supports the next, supports the next. So, so both perspectives are offered in the sutta. And I think it's interesting that that, that, that is, because it does indicate to me a very um, iterative uh, kind of kind of process on the path. We may cultivate a little bit of um, of wise view, of wise intention, and wise effort, and wise mindfulness, and then that will further support the cultivation of view and intention and effort and mindfulness, which supports more. And so they strengthen. They both support each other sequentially and support each other together. So the 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 um, the teaching around the uh, the eightfold path really emphasizes this one in the in the um, Majjhima Nikaya that I'm pointing to, really emphasizes right view as the head of the path. Over and over it says, right view comes first, and it's first in the path. So it's kind of just restating that. But But as it's talking about all of these path factors, it says right view comes first. And how does right view come, come first? We understand what right view is. That's how right view comes first. We understand what wrong view is. That's how right view come, comes first. So a basic level of understanding of what right view is, what wrong view is. And then in the second path factor, it again repeats. It says, how does right view come first? We understand right intention is right intention and wrong intention is wrong intention. And then it goes on to describe what each of these is. What is right intention? What is wrong intention? What is right effort? What is wrong effort? And so the um, the first um, step on the path is an understanding of what leads in the direction of freedom from suffering, because that's the basic framework of right view. What is right view? Right view is an understanding that points us towards the release of what leads us into stress, suffering, struggle. And and over and over again, there's the teaching that um, what leads us into stress, distress, unease, dissatisfaction, is um, greed, aversion, and delusion about the impermanent, unreliable nature of experience, basically impermanent, unreliable, not self nature of experience. And so the, um, a way in to understanding what right view is, is, is understanding that greed, aversion, and delusion, when we, when we want to hold on to something, we crave something, we want to push something away, we don't like something, that it's not what's happening that's, that's, uh, creating the stress or suffering, but it's the quality of mind that wants it to be otherwise. That's creating the stress or the suffering. And, and, and the delusion is that we think we have to create a, a different, uh, an otherwise in order to be happy, in order to have ease. So the, the, the teaching is fairly radical. You know, it, it is that what is happening is not the reason why we're suffering. The reason why we're stressed, the reason why we're not able to have ease or peace is not because of what's happening externally. It's because of our relationship to what's happening externally. 
And that's not to say that um, seeing and having a relationship to what's happening externally where there's peace about that. A misunderstanding often does happen with this teaching. It's like, well, if there's ease and peace around what's happening, why would I do anything? Why would I take action? But that's not the way this ease and peace works. This ease and peace is around um, um, the struggle in the present moment to acknowledge what's actually here. It's kind of in alignment with the truth of what's here. And then from that place of non-reactivity, of not fighting with what's here, our um, the wisdom and the compassion and all of the um, the wish in our the the the, the meta wishes, the wishes for well-being, can lead us to act skillfully, to take a step, to to make a choice to act skillfully. So this wise view that is being pointed to at the beginning around our relationship to experience being where the suffering is doesn't mean that we wouldn't, I mean, if greed, aversion, and delusion are not present, we won't be acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion, but we will be acting out of wisdom, out of compassion, out of generosity, out of care, out of uh, kindness. And so the, the, um, the, uh, the relationship to what's happening becomes very different. And so through this understanding of wise view, we begin to um, be curious about, well, what is happening? You know, what is happening in my experience? Um, is there tension, tightness, greed, aversion, confusion around experience? And then being mindful of it, being aware of it. So the factor of wise wise mindfulness comes in and we make effort to be aware. We make effort to understand, oh, there's greed present. Oh, there's aversion present. And we're mindful of it. And so the, the, um, the exploration around each of the first seven path factors includes an interweaving particularly of a view. What is the right way? What is the view that supports moving away from stress and suffering? What is the effort that's needed to align with that view and being mindful of what's happening in the present moment? So over and over again in this, um, in this sutta, for the first seven path factors, it does this repeated kind of refrain. It says, for right view, it says, so right view comes first. We make an effort to see right view as right view and understand wrong view as wrong view. That's right view. We make an effort to abandon wrong view and to connect to right view. That's right effort. Mindfully, we let go of wrong view and mindfully, we connect to right view. That's right mindfulness. And then he says, so these three states, wise view, wise effort, and wise mindfulness, run and circle around right wise view. 
So wise view, wise effort, wise mindfulness kind of are all needed to support the cultivation of wise view. So wise view is needed to cultivate wise view. And this, the understanding of this, uh, of, of how wise view can support cultivating wise view is uh, an understanding of different levels of wisdom. So we have to start with some kind of basic understanding, you know, hearing teachings and kind of cognitively understand wise view. What I just spoke about this, this kind of understanding of greed, aversion and delusion leading to suffering. Non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion will leading, leading away from suffering. That we can act out of wisdom and compassion and not out of greed and aversion. This is an understanding we can hear intellectually and maybe pick up, maybe decide to, hmm, this sounds like it's interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe I can do something with this. And that's then leading to the intention to engage. And I think of the intention part of the Eightfold Path really as, you know, the intention that follows from wise view. When we understand something, we might want to choose to engage or act. And so the intention then leads to the engagement, leads to the effort. And with that engagement, there's a little bit of deepening of the understanding. For myself, you know, early in my practice, you know, the very first few weeks of my practice, I had been, I'd understood that I, it would be helpful potentially to look at my challenging mind states, be aware of them. I didn't understand how that would work, but um, I chose to try it because, well, basically because nothing else had worked. So I thought, well, let's see what this, maybe this will help. And, um, and so I began to just try that, you know, just picked it up and it's like, trying a, a, a scientific experiment. Some, this is a hypothesis. Somebody says this worked, so I'll try it. And very quickly within the first few weeks, I began to understand something deeper, the value of it. And so that's a deepening of the wisdom. There was a, a kind of an experiential understanding of why it was helpful to pay attention to my difficult states. So I was making the effort to attend to the difficult states. I was being mindful of them when they arose. And I was trying on wise view. I was like, okay, let's see what happens if I do what this do what this teaching suggests. And with that, those three together, it strengthened the understanding of why it was useful. It deepened the level. It deepened it from just being conceptual to having a little bit of experiential understanding. Why is this useful? And so then the the wise view deepens. And there's more encouragement to make the effort and to be mindful. So again, they're they're strengthening each other. So this, um, this kind of refrain or this repeated teaching around these three it's repeated for the first seven path factors. So I'll point to it with, um, with effort. So we, um, right view comes first again. We make the, uh, we make the effort to, or we understand right effort as right effort and wrong effort as wrong effort. 
Right view comes first. We understand right effort is right effort and wrong effort is wrong effort. So again, looking at each of these path factors, what is the path factor? Potentially from the beginning, understanding it conceptually, then beginning to engage with it. So uh, so the, the right view looks at each of these path factors, the first seven path factors, understand what the what right intention is, right speech, right action, right livelihood, understand what wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong wrong livelihood, understand right effort, understand wrong effort. So right view comes first. We make an then it, about right effort. It says we make an effort to end to abandon wrong effort and enter into right effort. Understanding what right effort is, we explore letting go of wrong effort and entering into right right effort. We mindfully abandon wrong effort and mindfully connect with right effort. So again, these three important factors, view, effort, mindfulness, supporting the cultivation of these path factors. So I won't go into the the detail of you know what right effort is, um, what right intention is right now, uh, right mindfulness, what right mindfulness is, what wrong mindfulness is uh, right now, because we've been kind of doing that over the course of weeks. Um, but what I want to point to here is is just how through that exploration around right view, how the progression through the path. Feel, it, it feels to me like it's a deepening. We take something in conceptually. We engage with it with wise view, wise effort, wise mindfulness. We learn a little bit more. There's a deepening of understanding and a deepening of understanding what right effort is, what wrong effort is, what right mindfulness is, what wrong mindfulness is. And so we engage more carefully, more thoroughly. And we settle into all of these path factors supporting each other, like the, that, the, the threads of the, the rope. So all of these together really support our lives, moving in the direction of letting go of stress, of, of, of ease, of peace, of that place where we can act from wisdom and compassion rather than from reactivity. It's notable to me in terms of right concentration in this teaching, in this um, sutta that we're looking at. Right concentration does not receive this treatment of the refrain that is repeated for the first seven factors. It does not say, one makes the effort to abandon wrong on concentration and enter right concentration. It doesn't say that. It doesn't repeat that refrain. And I've been, I've wondered about this for a long time. I've been curious about, you know, why is it, you know, what's going on here? Um, for the first seven path factors, it points to the effort to kind of weave and deepen these path factors together. It doesn't do that with right concentration. Instead, the next thing it says in the sutta, after it's gone through the first seven path factors, it says, 
Right view comes first. In one of right view, right intention arises. In one of right intention, right speech arises. In one of right speech, I'm sorry, right action, speech, action, livelihood. In one of right speech, right action arises. In one of right action, right livelihood arises. In one of right livelihood, right effort arises. In one of right effort, right mindfulness arises. And in one of right mindfulness, right concentration arises. So it points to kind of the, the, the way I understand the teaching around right concentration in this context is that concentration is a result of cultivating all of the path factors. It's not something we do. It, it, it explicitly, I mean, that the piece that I find very interesting is that for the first seven path factors, it explicitly points to effort. You make the effort to cultivate these path factors. It doesn't do that with concentration. We make the effort to, to be mindful, to support the continuity of mindfulness. And the, the, and the effort that we make is way different than what we think effort is often. You know, we think of it as really a picking things up and churning. It's much more about what I was pointing to in the guided meditation. Just this intention to receive. Just this intention to be with experience. Not necessarily to hold on to any particular experience. But we do need to make the effort to remember when the mind has wandered and we come back We need to remember that it's useful to be mindful. We make the effort to remember right mindfulness is useful and to engage with it. So it's a a very light kind of effort. It's light in the way way that we usually think of making effort. We usually think of uh, gathering a lot of strength and doing a lot over a long period of time. The effort we need to make in meditation is enough effort to be present in this split second. And then we do it again and again and again. So it's a light touch over and over and over and over. So that combination of moment to moment connecting with experience, being mindful, as we talked about last week, it's the, the continuity of mindfulness. Being aware moment to moment. This, the continuity moment to moment, so the combination of effort and, and mindfulness. When there's a momentum of mindfulness and the mind is present moment after moment without reactivity, without um, pushing or pulling, just aware moment to moment, that that stabilization creates the conditions for the reactivity to begin to weaken. So there's more stability of mind, more more equanimity, more balance of mind, ability to just be with what's happening without reactivity. This is a definition, one definition of concentration that stability of mind, the, the, the absence of the hindrances. In many places, concentration is defined as, you know, the, the absence of the hindrances. 
So this continuity of mindfulness can create the conditions for the uh, the mind to have more stability to be with what's happening without you know wanting to hold on to something or wanting to push something away without confusion about what's happening so this continuity of mindfulness is a form of concentration and the the kind of concentration we often think about what we often define as concentration uh, in our um maybe our habitual way of of using the word concentration is when the mind is really focused on one thing. That's often what we think of when we talk about being concentrated. It's when we're really focused on one thing and pretty much everything else falls away. There is a way that um, that kind of concentration can happen in meditation. We can choose to focus on one thing attend to the breath, for instance, and just, you know, anytime the attention gets pulled away, um, we kind of incline back towards the breath. And and a, a form of concentration can arise that has a different flavor. It feels different when we uh, when we bring our mindfulness back to one object repeatedly. The the way the the experience, the whole experience feels in um, that kind of focused concentration, things get very still. It feels, it, and it ends very pleasant. It's, it feels really good. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, the mind just lands on one thing and it lets everything else go. So that, that experience can feel very good and it's very quiet. There's not a lot happening. Whereas in the other kind of, well, one thing I'll say about this is that too, that kind of concentration too, results from a continuity of mindfulness and effort. It's like the the mindfulness is continuous on one object, moment after moment, it's aware of the same object over and over, but it is still a continuity of mindfulness that creates that concentration. And so the difference between what we can call moment to moment mindfulness that's a form of concentration is that there can be a lot of things going on what's happening moment to moment can change we can be aware of daily life we can be aware of a variety of experience changing experience in the focused concentration we're more just stabilized with one thing but in both cases there's a continuity of mindfulness and so we could say then that, that the definition of, of um, concentration, of right concentration, is a continuity of mindfulness in which there's not, um, in not reactivity and not being pulled around by, you know, pleasant and unpleasant, but just able to be with what's here, moment after moment. And in fact, in the descriptions, because another way that concentration is defined in the suttas, we have this definition that I just gave uh, from this one sutta, Majjhima 117, that talks about concentration essentially being the result of the path factors. Other places, concentration is described as what's called the four jhanas. The four, uh, they're, 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 they're kind of successively deeper states of stabilized stabilization in the mind and often the the path or the practice leading to that kind of 
stabilization of mind. And this comes through the, the commentarial readings, actually. The, um, the teaching, the instructions often emphasize pick one object. Pick an experience, attend to that experience, stay with that experience, stabilize with that experience. And then, you know, it just with simply staying with that experience, you'll enter into these, these deeper states of concentration successively. The commentaries uh, are the ones that point to pick a particular object. When you look at the suttas, the the suttas describe the jhanas all over the place. They describe them, uh, at, you know, and they, they connect those states with right concentration. But almost never in the suttas, I, I, you know, there's, there's maybe one or two places in the suttas. You know, I, they're hard to find because if you just look up jhanas and go, you know, look at, look at the, the, the states as they're described, what it says is um, basically, you know, be mindful. It doesn't say anything about picking any particular object. It just says, mindfully, you know, be mindful, be aware of experience. And the uh, expression is, here's it. Secluded from sense pleasure and unwholesome states, one enters into the first jhana. So it, it doesn't say that that, uh, that seclusion from sense pleasure and unwholesome states has to result from a focused attention. In fact, in, in some places, it really points to a variety of mindfulness practices as leading to that, that place of being secluded from sense pleasure and unwholesome states. So this again points to the secluded from sense pleasure, secluded from unwholesome states. To me, this is, you know, the wet, it's, it's secluded from, so it means they're not happening right now. It means that the mind is kind of in a place where, I mean, it, it's temporarily in a place where reactivity is not arising. And that happens with the continuity of mindfulness. We can temporarily enter into, and, I mean, and that, that temporarily, in my experience, is very interesting how, um, Again, with concentration, we often think of it needing to happen over a long stretch of time, <laughs> you know, that, that, um, and, and that's what the absorption thing kind of does with these, with the, the focusing on one particular experience. It can create the conditions where we enter into a state that lasts for quite a long time. It's quite lovely. Um, but that's not to disvalue or to deny the value of moments of of moments of mindfulness, continuous moments of con mindfulness that can happen for us. And they might happen, you might end up with a, a little like burst of continuity of mindfulness. In daily life, even, it can happen, you know, just in the midst of doing something that there's a kind of an arising of mindfulness and a very clear seeing. 
a very clear um, understanding of what's happening in the present moment and seeing what's skillful and what's unskillful in that moment and watching the uh, the mind abandon an unskillful direction and enter into a skillful direction right in a split second. That My experience, you know, little bursts like that can be right concentration that allow for the seeing of what is helpful and what is not helpful and clearly let go of suffering in a moment. Again, kind of a temporary freedom, a temporary release from suffering that we understand following that um, that kind of experience. You know, we might experience this kind of seeing, very clear seeing of, oh, yeah, the mind doing that, that's, that way lies suffering. I don't think so. <laughs> and moving a different direction. That really can support our understanding of this is useful. Can I keep doing this? This, this is, this is helpful. So kind of an understanding of the path, the path as a whole, all eight strands of the eightfold path, kind of being there in that moment, supporting each other and showing us, yes, this is the direction. So right concentration can be understood. I think really the definition of the continuity of right mindfulness as the the basic definition that when there's that continuity of right mindfulness, the the greed, the aversion, the delusion will temporarily be um, at bay and there can be very clear seeing, very clear seeing of what, is suffering and what is not suffering and seeing the release of suffering. And we can also cultivate concentration through the practice of mindfulness with a particular object. So both are valuable, but we don't have to, um, we don't have to have that focused concentration in order to be on the path. My understanding of this teaching from, from the, uh, the Majjama, that right concentration is the result of the cultivation of the first path factors. A very deep cultivation of, in particular, wise view, wise effort, and wise mindfulness. So there is that continuity of mindfulness. We can open to comments and questions if there's any comments or questions about um, about this topic. Yeah, Fred. Can you? Am I unmuted? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, can you say something about the relationship between concentration and equanimity? So, um, yeah, they're they're. There's several threads here. Um, what I would say is that, um, you know, so concentration itself is not equanimity. I mean, you can, you can have a concentration um, um, 
you can have wrong concentration. In fact, you know, the mind can be kind of, you know, absorbed into something that's not, uh, that's not onward leading. Um, so, you know, concentration and equanimity are different qualities of mind in the way they're cultivated in the Eightfold Path. Equanimity is kind of a result, also a result of the cultivation of the stability of mindfulness. So the, the, um, you know, equanimity we could almost define as, um, non-reactivity to what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. Um, um, in the focused concentration, there's not a lot happening to be equanimous about. It's just, you know, <laughs> and so, it, it, you know, in a way, um, there is an equanimity there, but it's, it's, it's not being tested, we could say. <laughs> and this is one of the, one of the challenges in effect around the, uh, the kind of concentration or one of the drawbacks, we could say, one of the weaknesses, maybe not really a drawback, but a weakness, let's say, of the kind of concentration that's developed on one particular object, because it's so narrow that, you know, the kind of equanimity that's there is not being a kind of uh, cultivated around a variety of experiences. And so the, the, the mindfulness, the concentration that comes with um, mindfulness uh, moment to moment, the changing experience, we really get to taste what it means for the mind to not be reactive. So there are definitely similarity or differently, um, they come at the same, in the same terrain. You know, when the mindfulness is continuous, when right mindfulness is continuous, there will be kind of this uh, non-reactivity. And that is the, the, the kind of the mind that is stable. The stable mind that's just able to be next moment, next moment, next moment. And the mind that is not reactive to next moment, next moment, next moment. Very similar qualities. In a way, you know, it, it maybe is like splitting hairs to say they're different, but we can, we can see slight differences between them. And the feeling of equanimity, I think it comes more to the fore in that moment-to-moment concentration, you know, what the feeling of equanimity is. The, 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 the real, yeah, there's something. And, and, and it's almost in seeing something that would have created reactivity, not creating reactivity, that we understand what that equanimity is. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Fred. Thank you. Other questions? Yeah, Kate. I'm definitely going to listen to this Dharma talk again because it felt very um, interwoven-like. But is one aspect of what what you were saying um, basically that um, kind of right view heads the field because if we want to delve into any of the path factors, we can, we look at them and, and our, and our understanding, our, our living with them from the view of the right view of does this lead to suffering or does this lead to the release of suffering? Bottom yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that this also points to, 
and a few places in a few places in the in the um the suttas it does point to the wrong eightfold path you know that in one of right view in one of wrong view one who doesn't understand this you know so somebody who goes around thinking that yeah happiness is going to come from getting what i want you know it, thinking that greed is the way to happiness they're going to act on greed so the intention is going to be to act on greed and you know so that's wrong intention which leads to potentially wrong speech you know wrong action wrong livelihood and you know the effort that's cultivated there is the effort to get more of what i want and you know there's not the understanding of this actual pattern that you're in leading to the stress and suffering that you're feeling to try to get out of so so there is a little bit of description in the sutras it's not mentioned too many places about the wrong eightfold path and so the importance of understanding for each path factor what is helpful and what is not helpful in terms of leading away from stress suffering leading away from greed aversion delusion and that would be right mindfulness needed to under in order to understand that exactly and- Okay. Yeah, it and it's it so was, it's so interesting how they're connected, and yeah. the right and the right effort to, you know, be interested in knowing that difference. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was Majima one seventeen. Yep. Okay. One seventeen. Yep. Anything else? We're almost at time, but something short, maybe. Okay, well, it's almost time to stop, so we'll just end here.